0: All right. So I am incredibly honored and excited and humbled to have the great Paul Jordan on uh, on the podcast today. For for people that uh, are unaware, don't know him, don't come from a volleyball background, um, I got the 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 fortune of recording for the Olympics at the same time and being introduced um, to Paul through through my broadcasting partner Karen Larson. And, um, and we got to have a night where we, every, a whole bunch of us went out and had a drink or whatever, and, uh, had some dinner. And so I got to meet Paul that way and got to know him over the eight, nine days that I was maybe 10 days that I was there, I guess, eight days on air. And, uh, just like a super cool down to earth, amazing dude with like the best resume in Canadian volleyball history. So, uh, you've commentated two games, I think.
1: Correct. Correct. Yep, yep.
0: And you were uh, Volleyball Canada Hall of Fame and the youngest inductee into the London, Ontario City Hall of Fame for sport and the CEO of InaSoft Canada and on the national squad for 15 years. And uh, I think I read at one time considered the best volleyball player in the world. Um, so obviously a, a world class volleyball player. I'm sure there's lots of things I'm missing. So I'd love it if you if you could give me a little more of a. Of, uh, some other things that you've been able to do in your athletic endeavors.
1: Sure. Well, you nailed it. All all of that was correct. Uh, first off, though, thanks for having me on the show, Josh. Awesome to see you again. Like you said, it was great to meet last summer covering the games. That was a wild time, working long nights overnight. But yeah, uh, yeah good to see you more normal hours here. And right. uh, <laughs> yeah, you kind of covered it. I. Uh, just a normal kid, you know, grew up playing a ton of sports. I uh, was born and raised in London, Ontario. And then uh, yeah, after high school, was selected to the national team where I uh, put any thoughts of going to university on hold. At least thought it was temporary in the beginning, and then it ended up being permanent. And as the volleyball thing went really well. Uh, yeah, I played for the national team for 15 years. Part of the reason for that was just continually trying to qualify for the Olympics. I never made it to the games uh, right. as a player. And then... I was fortunate enough to have a fairly extensive professional career as well. So I played 14 seasons in Europe, so kind of start to finish 17 years straight of international ball and then retired, was completely lost and uh, over the last yeah 10 years, I've kind of rebuilt who I am and my identity and uh, now work in the recreation world, uh, making software to help people get active. So it's been a journey. Yeah, it's it's really funny.
0: Um, I think that's not spoken about enough. There was, oh, I can't think of his name now, an Olympic champion from Canada that was a kayaker. He's now in politics, Oakville, Ontario. Oh, Vancouver then. Yeah, Adam Vancouver. He talks about post-Olympic depression. I've heard him speak about that. And um, there's some similarities between us, not a ton, but I also am a person that strived for, to be a high-performance athlete, you were very successful in that way, but didn't get your Olympic journey, which I also was unable to make an Olympic squad for Canada. And the time frame, um, I think, no, the the thing that was in, in, important to me is like, no matter the time frame that that journey ends. If you're a person that's been chasing that dream for literally your life, you probably started playing volleyball and being involved in a sport very young. I was allowed on the mats as a judoka at three and a half years old is when I was allowed on the mats. And my goal from the time I was six was I wanted to be an Olympic athlete. Um, My athletic career ended at about 23 years old, but very much the same thing. You identify yourself so much with this dream that you're chasing that whether you're successful and you get every bit of success that you want or you don't, or anywhere in between, when that ends, it is a really tough thing to be like, you have to find your individual self, whatever that means going forward. And for me, that was like a shovel to the face. Like it was pretty dramatic when you decide, okay, I'm not going to do this anymore. Oh my God, what does it all mean? That was a huge moment
1: for me too. Oh, yeah. it's. I think it's unfortunately extremely extremely common for athletes especially those that take it to a high level because as you said it really boils down to your identity you know mm-hmm. i was known as paul the volleyball player mm-hmm. my friends are volleyball players every day was volleyball um right 17 years straight you know at a high level and like, like you said, said when you're a kid too before that leading up to it to it mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. And, and wanting it and the focus that it takes, it takes and the discipline and the things that you have to kind of say no to Mm -hmm. make it even more intense for that identity to have importance, Mm -hmm. you know, and um, you you stake kind of your own personal value in your mind sometimes on because it's all about the volleyball, Mm -hmm. winning and losing, because if all I do is volleyball Volleyball, and I'm 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 not winning, then I'm not a good person, you know, I have no value. Right. Like, like, and so that, that kind of story is under the surface there. And then, like you said, yeah, when you stop Your identity is ripped away, like you for me at least. And um Mm. it was, you know, who am I? What what value do I have now? Mm -hmm. Like I'm no good. I I can't hit a ball around here, you know, what's that gonna do to to help the family and um, any kind of a career moving forward? So it's um I think it's why you see a lot of people actually, you know, get into coaching maybe for the wrong reason or try to stay in the sport for the wrong reason because it's what they know and Mm -hmm. it's a really unique thing and then I think most if not all athletes deal with it at least on some level for sure right yeah yeah
0: it's like yeah it's it's really hard and when you talk about like your self-worth it's so like I didn't expect us to go necessarily into the weeds in this uh but um you know there's a lot of things relationship wise that are connected to that when you're used to being an athlete that's performing and you're so goal oriented and you're so connected to the success or failure of those goals, it affects every part of your life or it can, and it did with me. And so when you stop that, it's like, I don't know how to, I I, I know this might sound a little silly to some people or whatever, but like, am I worthy of someone's love now that I'm not doing what I did and I'm not working towards these achievements. Like that is me. So if I'm not doing that, I'm, I'm a shell of myself. That's not true. Like, this is what we tell ourselves. That's obviously not true, but we get so much into the weeds that way that it's like you stop competing You're like, am I is, should someone date me? Should someone give me that time of day? Should people like, uh, and that's, for me to some degree i would say that's uh, that's a struggle that doesn't just turn off we we've been that way so long it's been 16 years since i've competed and a part of me still operates that way i'm still incredibly goal oriented i'm still motivated that way in in a sense like trying to earn that love and respect because it just becomes such a part
1: of a personality trait i find yeah it's you you're really nailing it i think and you, you clearly get it it's uh something tony robbins teaches on is like there's the human needs that he talks about is that we all have a need for significance mm-hmm. we all have a need for certainty mm-hmm. we also have a need for uncertainty so if everything was the same every single day right you know we get bored and right. then we have a, a need for love and connection those are the kind of four basic ones that he talks about and then right beyond that there's contribution and learning and growth but um kind of those four kind of me- fundamental building blocks and if you think about us in sport, you know, we get a, so, so much significance from our sport, you know, you're the man on the mat, you're the professional, you know, it you're, you've put in the 10,000 hours, you put in the 20,000 hours, you're an expert, you know, so right. you get a ton of significance from that. Right. You have a lot of control in that realm mm-hmm. and then you have the uncertainty of competition. So it's super addictive and right. the connection as well, because you're connected to people um, and these tight bonds in the team with your coach with right. the people you train with and so it's you know tony says if you meet any three of those needs it's an addictive activity right and so it's a slam dunk for high performance sport and so when it goes away significance goes away your certainty right. goes away right a lot right. of a lot of the love and connections that you have with teammates and that environment goes away and then with it goes that whole identity and feeling of self. so it is Yeah. You have this fear of, am I even lovable? Am I worth anything? And so, right. Yeah. It was a huge process for me after retiring, you know, kind of just my wife described it as I was a shell of myself and just this kind of walking zombie on autopilot for a couple of years, just, just lost and not connecting with my kids. And it was just a continual work on, on myself, on my thoughts, um, getting out and learning new things and creating new things for me to understand that, yeah, I can be more than this. I can, around. Right. So it's, but it's been a process, man. It's right. it, was, it was a hell of a struggle for years, but. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I would say it's not necessarily a
0: struggle now, but it, it's not gone either. It's like, you know, I think Definitely. anyone that deals with anything that they've gone through, whatever that is, uh, I think that, that that lingers has a lingering effect that sort of can hang on to some degree. So that's that way for me. It's like a, another example to that point is the idea of becoming less goal-oriented is really difficult for me. That's a really hard concept because so many things get weighed into it. So then when I'm so goal-oriented, part of it, I think, is that if I achieve some goal now no longer as an athlete, I'm striving for that same feeling. It's that same hit. So it's Mm -hmm. like um, I got this position where I got to commentate the olympics and i didn't go into it thinking um, that it was more than that but it's this crazy high you're you get to meet the people that you get to meet like yourself and karen larson and donovan bailey and my kids got to meet donovan bailey and you know a childhood hero so you have this incredible high and i think in sub subconscious way you think this will make you more whole like winning a tournament is going to make you more whole. And then after it's over, you're nothing's different. It was a great experience. I had so much fun. I'm so happy with the people I got to meet. I I enjoyed it thoroughly, but then you go home, you know, and you're just you at home again. It's your life didn't become so much significantly um, different afterwards. And so I, things like that still happened to me I this think. episode is brought to you by mattify which produces beautiful yoga mats like my favorite one right here with the cork surfaces i do yoga myself and i'm a huge fan of these mats they ship anywhere in canada and you can even have a discount if you use the promo code a fighting chance at checkout check them out
1: i love how you phrased that because it's, it's got me thinking that the win here none of it's right or wrong and like you said like you said you still have those feelings about thinking back past and then at and that like you mentioned that drive to want to win all the time. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not good or bad, Mm -hmm. but what's key or the nuance is knowing yourself to know why so that it's not controlling you. Right. It's fine for you to be like completely goal driven. Mm -hmm. If that's what you're actually choosing and not these identities and this, this need for significance or or something is choosing it for you, which is what was happening when I was a player. I, I, I know that when I was a player, I felt like I had to win to be worthy. And I know right. now that I don't, I, I want to, if I'm doing something, I want to compete to win. But if I don't win, I know I'm a good person. I am lovable. I, I bring right. value and right that, that knowledge of knowing yourself allows you to take the control back. Right. And you know, if, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, totally. I think, um, you know, I, uh, Again, not, we expected to go this way, but 30 was a tough birth year for me. Like when I turned 30, it felt like uh, I didn't know myself and that yeah, I look at everyone else and everyone else has their stuff together is sort of how it felt. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm this, just I'm I'm this this recovering, recovering sports addict, addict trying to figure out my life still to some degree, you know, and what I learned a lot in my 30s, I think, or what I believe I've learned is that everyone's in the same boat. Everyone thinks everyone else has their stuff together learning that other people you're not individual in that feeling and that you know I'm getting better and better and better at life I'd say as I approach 40 now of you know it as cliche as it is it is just the journey that's the thing you have to accept and appreciate every day whether that's athleticism or life or business or whatever it is is like in uh, embracing that you can enjoy the grind that's the part that's like the part that you should probably embrace no matter instead of necessarily only wanting the end game
1: oh that's so true like if you if you think about a big match that you won a big mm-hmm. fight that you won you know how long does that feeling last right. know, so I, I don't know that's if, right if it's something insane maybe, maybe longer than that but mm-hmm. that, that's such that's a, a tiny, tiny tiny part of your, part of your life, life. Right. all of the rest of it and the training and all that is like you said the journey and you've got to. You got to love that. Your life can't be hinging on whether or not you achieve this goal or not. It's got to be loving the process up to it and being able to separate from, from that outcome to, to, you know, just enjoy and and be happy generally. Right. Yeah. You train for four years, you get sick right before the competition and you don't perform well, and that is completely out of your control. And is that going to define your life? Right. 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 Right.
0: Right. Does that make you a bad athlete? It doesn't, yeah, none of that stuff can't, is a factor.
1: It can't, it right. can't. So who you are every day is, you know, like, how you, I love that saying of how you do anything is how you do everything. Like, mm. you know, right. that's, that's that continual, you know, personal strive for excellence that you talk about, that, that setting goals, that, that's, that's who you are. Right. Not the result. So, you know, right. Right. And, yeah.
0: Right. The getting less goal and not necessarily goal oriented, but those goals don't have to be, the focus doesn't have to be what I like to call like the impossible goals, the impossible goals being an Olympian, the impossible goals being the best volleyball player in the world. The goals that we set can be small daily goals and achieving those daily goals give removes a lot of anxiety for me personally. Like I really love checklists. So it's like, oh, I have this stuff to do for work. I have to record a podcast with yourself and feel prepared and all that. It's like, There's anxiety to all those little things and you start just checking them off. And those things every day is like enjoying like, Hey, today I made sure I went for my run or I'm, or I made my coffee instead of buying it. Like those little, as small as that is, is like those little goals are what, you know, sort of bring me the joy in the day. And when it becomes those achievable daily goals, it's, it's like the Japanese expression Kaizen, small improvements every day, leading over time. Right. And so it's like, if I do those things every day, those other things will happen, but thinking thinking that marriage is the wedding day right that's sort of the equivalent oh yeah perfect it's thing, not yeah and those right, little exactly.
1: things that you're talking about those are the things that you're keeping your word to yourself mm-hmm. which makes you love yourself more believe in yourself more gives you more self-confidence it's right. you know the, the worst thing we can do is kind of break a commitment or a word to ourselves and just like you said you just, by just making it those little things those positive things you just get that momentum and that that really can shape you know a positive identity about who you are right, right.
0: yeah, yeah. The, the other thing that i found is in modern times it's really really hard there's so many distractions there's probably literally always been and anyone can make a distraction for things right but it's not always that life so now is so much more challenging than it's ever been it's just different in some ways but the other thing that i find is um finding an ability to be present is really is a really powerful tool for me because it's again, I think connected to that is it's easy to not be present when my goal is in four years, I want to have a house for a million dollars or whatever that is. Right. If, if, if that's what you're thinking about all the time, you get lost in the journey, you're distracted by it. And so what I've found is finding, um, finding things that make me really be present. So sometimes I do yoga. Another thing that I find really meditative like that is actually cooking, because if I'm cooking Mm. something and I want to make something that's really difficult, like a couple months ago, I made French croissants for the first time. It's a long process. And if I'm not paying attention, I'm not, I'm not going to end up with a croissant in the end, but it really makes me like as weird as that seems in a way. It really makes me be present to challenge myself by making things I've never made in the kitchen before and, when we do things that are not necessarily challenging in any way in our daily lives, it's so easy to pick up our phone and scroll or, and I'm not saying that all of that's all bad either, but for me personally, I find like being present is not necessarily easy for me as a person that gets a little scrambled and excited about many things. And so finding processes <laughs> to be present or really good conversation is another way that I love being present. I'm, I, I just enjoy having conversations with people that those moments are things that I really
1: cherish now, I guess. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. And it's uh, having got five kids through a blended family from ages 11 to 22 now. And I've seen it, you know, at various times, especially with social media and phones, but just um, the extra work it takes to make sure that you're connecting, even with just your kids, you know, right. um, to, to get devices away to get everyone down together for a meal. Mm-hmm. Um, massive dividends though. And I was, as you are saying about staying present and cooking the croissant, another thing that popped in my head too, is you think about, you know, when you're under the bar and you're squatting or, you, or you're benching or you've got a right. weight in your hand, you're present. Because if, yeah, if you're not, yeah. you're getting hurt. Right. Or when you're right. on the mat, you are a hundred percent present, which is kind of one of the cool things about sport and why I think relationships are so strong in it because when you're really, working with a teammate or a training partner, or sparring or whatever it is, you, you're connected. Like you're right there. There are no distractions, right? And that kind of pop mad and making me think, of, yeah, it is. It's a unique environment to keep you present. Right. Yeah. It's And, and, and you're so seduced by
0: it in whatever ways, like I think sport has a massively powerful social aspect. Almost all of my best friends are judoka. Um. So you have this social aspect and the bonds are so strong. I like to compare it not knowing i've never been in the military but i would es- estimate there would be similar to people that are in the military having to spend all this time together with a common goal is a very powerful thing to to bring people together and um yeah and, and weight yeah especially like as not a weightlifter but someone who lifts weights and did in you know, a part of my training same thing like yeah you do a heavy low bar squat and you're not paying attention and you're distracted thinking about someone that just sent you a text message you're dropping that bar like yeah you know it's you're not lifting it.
1: <laughs> so, so
0: yeah, that's a that's a really that's a really good point. Like I I sometimes forget that, but that's probably what what draws me to lifting weights now because I don't necessarily truly enjoy doing. It's hard. <laughs> I don't know if I love it. Yeah, yeah. But but it it's another thing that makes me be present, and and um, yeah. That's that's really powerful. Like being present is a really
1: powerful tool, I find. Yeah. and just like you said these days harder to do there's distractions mm-hmm. everywhere so
0: right yeah
1: it's a, a skill everyone needs
0: everyone needs yeah whatever your niche is I mean, I mean lots lots of people, people do with running or up here in northwest territories there's a lot of um, cross country scene because we've got snow forever uh so yeah it's like maybe it's taking in maybe it's taking in nature or maybe it's playing your sport or maybe it's both those things or you know checking in to be present regularly um Yeah. There's lots of, there's lots of ways to do it and know that there is like a method or a model that, that you will probably, that you can enjoy, you know, you're not limited to one thing. It might be many things. Right. Um, I guess on a, on a sort of going back in time note, um, outside of your, outside of your obvious, um, physical presence, you're not a little guy, like what are you, six, four, yeah, oddly yeah. enough,
1: I was one of the smaller guys on the team. Like I was, yeah, six four. So right, um, yeah, I, I felt the team, and then felt tall again when I come home. And right, out right. Um, non volleyball so, players.
0: Right. So, so from that standpoint, like, what was, what was your draw to volleyball? When did you start playing? What was the, um the hook for you?
1: I have to say, it's just the environment I I was in. I. Growing up, I loved playing all sports, Canadian kids, so obviously held a hockey stick and played hockey, but, uh, love playing basketball with buddies when I was young and then, um, soccer. It's like that spring when completely and luck, but, you know, something aligned, but, uh, Gentleman by the name of Von Peck was coaching at over. I went to high school and just kind Mm -hmm. of, if you dropped him in the water and looked at all the ripples that came away from Vaughn of all the coaches that he impacted and players, he's one of those people in the sport that just, you know, lifelong coach, lifelong mentor. And, uh, so he saw me in the hallway and said, Hey, we got volleyball tryouts. Mm -hmm. Come on out. And my, my neighbor, a good close friend, Jamie Nielsen as well. Like his parents are kind of like my godparents told me to go try out for volleyball. And that was the first sport in the fall at Oak Ridge. There's football or volleyball. I went out and then I knew the football team wasn't very good at that time. So yeah, I'll go try out for volleyball Right. and, and played, played it, it and loved it. But then, you know, at the same time, kept playing hockey and then in the winter did play to the basketball team in the spring soccer, um, swam with the swim team and just kept doing all sports and loved it. But, uh, started club volleyball in grade nine or maybe it's grade 10, even um, just <coughs> no great loving and excelling at it. And I'd say by grade 11, I had to start kind of weaning off sports because volleyball was really becoming my thing, but right. The, the, yeah. yeah it, the initial draw was just wanting to do something and, and play. And I think the other big, um, took us to see the national team play so had we not done that they mm-hmm. not been exposed to actually seeing it in person and seeing just how high the game was played and the, the power and the speed it, like, it was mind-blowing it's great nine to see this you know, right. on tv you don't you know maybe even the olympics are on but if you're right. not looking for it you're not going to find it um i mean it's completely different now if you want to watch volleyball you can see it online everywhere but uh, right. you back in those days you know Record something on a VHS tape and play it back. Right. Kind of a natural evolution into it. it was kind of getting better at the uh, with club and had the parental team in Ontario, and then just got more and more focused on on the volleyball side of things, but kept up the other sports as much as I could. Right. right.
0: Yeah, the the power of something like that is pretty incredible. I think a lot of people that are basketball fans have the fortune of the NBA being on TV for such a long time. Like I grew up watching Michael Jordan with my mom, and then Shaquille O'Neal and Horace Grant, and then the Raptors got a team. Um, For me, my huge moment was the 1993 World Championships were housed in Hamilton, Ontario. That's three three hours from my hometown, but my grandma lived there, and we trained at a dojo there. So to go into Hamilton, um, and I got to see a Canadian take a medal. Nicola Gill took a medal in those 93 worlds. And I saw an American, Jason Morris, who later coached me, who took a, uh, a bronze medal in those worlds as well. Um, to see that in person, the best joke in the world, when I saw Yamashita from Japan, he was like the greatest judoka ever, had the world record for uh, winning so many matches in a row. To see these per- people in the in person and the impact that had was like, oh, I need to keep doing this. I got to carry a flag in the opening ceremonies for Uzbekistan, actually, as a 10-year-old boy. Um, so it was, like, so epic. Like, that moment, I will never lose that memory. Um, you know, I, it's like, it's burned in there still to this day, and that, that had a really powerful impact on me, which goes to, like, the idea of housing these massive international competitions in Canada can have, can have a really powerful effect on everyone that gets to witness
1: it yeah you cannot understate that i think this is exactly the same for me you, you, when you see it live it's just a completely different experience and mm-hmm. yeah you can see the big four on tv anytime in north america and you know so you know football you know baseball mm-hmm. all these other sports that are out there they're so great that you've got it somebody's got to make the effort it, it's like somebody needs to know to take you who like you know who took you to that event it's like Vaughn took our team to this event you know you need somebody like that who that next generation to expose the up-and-coming kids right like that who that next generation to expose the up and coming kids right what's out there and what's possible and and what these things are because if you just watch mainstream media you're gonna be spoon fed the same stuff and Mm There's so many other options out there. And that's something that I really loved about being in Europe. Um, I lived in France for different periods of time and they got a sport newspaper there called Le Keep. Mm-hmm. And the coolest thing about Lequipe Keep is that, yes, the first page or two are always covering soccer or football, as they call it over there. But in there, you're reading about track and field. You're reading about rugby. You're reading about just fencing volleyball all these different sports and that exposure to it's the exposure it's that you know right. opportunity. it's just so important so any chance that you know canada has or a city has to host some kind of an international tournament you know you hope they got to jump on it it always seems to be a dollars thing obviously has got to you know make money or break even or whatnot but it's just so valuable for for the kids to see that stuff right
0: yeah. And, and it can, it's the other thing that's powerful about that is, um, I'm sure you feel the same way Is the goal is not that everyone that sees it when all people and all people that are involved in sport need to want to, or should become high performance athletes. That's not the case at all, but, <clears throat> but being involved in things for the same, not everyone needs to stay fit later in life by lifting weights. It might be by playing hockey, it might be by playing basketball, it might be by playing soccer, it might be by running, but um, getting involved in a sport at a young age and knowing that being physically active and healthy is a really important necessity in life to have a long healthy life it makes us present it removes anxiety it releases positive endorphins it keeps you physically active um there's studies on once your vo2 max hits a certain amount how it directly correlates to life expectancy so these are really like important things so when you see something like that yeah maybe you don't ever want to become a high performance athlete that's great but maybe now in Yellowknife we have a really strong um extracurricular volleyball team thing here like there's a lot of volleyball i meet people all the time and they they're all playing volleyball sadly i my schedule doesn't really work for it but you know people in their 30s playing volleyball for fun to stay physically active that's that's awesome so i think it has an effect not just on the high performance kids but it also has an effect on like this is helps people live healthier stronger and connected lives those social s- sports in your 30s still create those same strong bonds. Like a lot of people, their best friends are the people they play volleyball with
1: in Yellowknife. So true. And like you said, it's one high performance because you know, if you look at the numbers, that's not happening. So right. you've got to be so many things need to happen for you to get to the highest levels of sport. But it's it's exactly what you said, it's a life skill. It's being able to keep mm-hmm. your body able to move and function to live a long and healthy life. And, you know, that's what's like the number one and two things for, you know, treating or preventing any disease. It's physical activity and, and nutrition Right, teaches you the whole physical side of it. And you get all those spinoff benefits, like you're saying, socially and mentally that are, just can't be beat. Right. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. There's a, there's an expression that I love. I don't know who said it, you know, probably a million people ever. And I definitely didn't coin it, but you are who you associate with. So when you do associate with those people that live that healthy lifestyle, the tide rises, raises all ships. So sometimes I might be saying, Paul, we need to play volleyball. And you might not be, it might not be the day that you're so motivated to do it, but you get that text message from me and you want to come and now you join. And then two weeks later, it might be me that's dragging my heels. And then you say it, we're both helping each other get there. And I think sometimes in the advertisement world and what we see is like, if you want to stay physically healthy and active, you must run on the streets you know in your new nikes and lift weights and there's way more options than just that to being physically
1: active you know yeah for sure uh i mean we go on forever about how important sport is and obviously having been through it know it but uh yeah it's again when i think about my kids like we never said you got to play this sport or that we just want them to be active enjoy that team environment the social aspect and um learn that life skill of taking care of their body so right you only get one yeah dude, I have one that's interesting.
0: My children are younger, so they're seven and four, but uh I'm cognizant of it, and I don't want to be that person but <clears throat> so the idea of my kids becoming judoka and competitive, it's hard not to say that there's not a small part of me that loves the idea of it, but i I know that that's a a slippery slope, and I'm not going to push my kids towards it, but as a as a father of five do you ever feel that or have you ever felt this inkling similar to myself as a father of like you know would be pretty cool if my kids if one of them oh yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah it's it's such a oh, funny
1: line i'd be lying if i i said i, I didn't right um and and part of it cause it's it's because it's what i know so right if that's the route they wanted to go i feel mm-hmm. like i could help them the most you know right but give them pointers actually be able to give them technical feedback or, or whatnot and um but yeah it's, it's interestingly one of the kids so far played volleyball as my oldest son and he was not competitive like he played club but you know when the season was done he wasn't mm-hmm. yeah for sure at, i think having grown up in a sport you'd want your kids to do it, it might be cool just to see what they could do right but yeah Uh, Yeah, like I said, I'd be lying if if I didn't want that. Um, Still have one warmer shot, the youngest daughter. She's 11. (laughs) She can still get into it. Right, right. Yeah, it's
0: funny. It's funny. The one part that I hadn't really thought about, which I think is so, it's funny. Sometimes the most obvious answers are the ones that slip past us. You know what I mean? Um, Mm -hmm. So the aspect that you said where you're like, I would love them to do it because as their father, um, I could help them. And that's the part, like I sort of, see it in this oh it's a connection to me thing but yeah it's like as a father you want to do whatever you can to help your kids succeed so if you are good in an aspect or or um, passionate about something and you have a knowledge base in it then you're obviously going to steer them towards that because you can help facilitate their learning and and maybe do things that you didn't do right or would have done differently and I never really thought about that little part of it I guess is that I feel like I could help them like if they want to um, become doctors i don't really like the sight of blood i'm not going to be very helpful you know so <laughs> so i think yeah it's funny like a i could help them at judo i'm a judo coach right tree not so much yeah right right yeah <laughs> yeah i just I, i'm not going to sit there and help you dissect a, a mouse like that's not that's not my wheelhouse of what i can do for you um so one other area that i find um uh, fascinating in sport in general as like a base as a sports fan and i always love watching sport at any level is the different types of strategizing that goes into play and so i played a little volleyball i was uh when i started high school i was four foot eleven and uh i was five seven when i graduated high school and i'm a gigantic five nine now so i um, not the typical star volleyball player but i did play some and uh a great sport i love it but um, Uh, it's interesting to me is learning like how much time you would have put into as a team into the strategy specific. Is there, there, I would guess there's plays set plays sort of uh, in volleyball, like how much of your training time outside of uh, just striking the ball and, and exercising you guys would do.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And definitely the further you go in the game, the more there is of it and the more important it becomes. So um, in the professional season you're playing every weekend in, in league matches. In the middle of the week there might be European Cup games, but in a general week, yeah, you'd be watching video of your opponent to identify certain trends that their offense has or that their defense has and um, trying to just understand tweaks that we're going to make as a team to compensate or to adjust to things that they do well. Um, so there's a lot of that, but what I always love, um, it is a team sport, but there's a lot of kind of one-on-one confrontations at the net where, you know, you're coming at me as an attacker, I'm blocking the plan and tendencies that you, you know, maybe in this rotation, when you're on the front left side of the court, you normally hit the ball cross court 68% of the time. And other times you're going line or you like to hit it high off my hands or, you know, like knowing you as an attacker. And then right, right. it's this, this game of um, I loved it because I would remember almost every attack from a match that each time we went against each other mm. and what were you trying to do and what did you do in that situation? And the last time I played you, mm-hmm. and, I mean, I'm sure it's the same for you as, as a, when you're on the mat of, you know, you must study your opponents like crazy. And um, um, the cool thing then is relating. There's that kind of mini battle going on, but then I also have supportive teammates. And so the big thing in volleyball is the communication Mm -hmm. of, you know, okay, uh, I'm feeling this, or I'm seeing this happening and letting the guy behind me know so that he can adjust his position based on where I'm going to maybe move my hands and leave an opening for you. Right. He's ready (laughs) for that other shot. And quickly Uh and um so you you go into a game definitely with a lot of preparation and -hmm. a game plan and you know you stick to it but then the best teams i was on were just continually talking and adjusting what are we seeing are are, are they doing what we thought they would do in the first part of this set Mm -hmm. um you know this guy's not playing well. Let's shift and focus on these guys. And just, it's this continual thing on the defensive side, on the offensive side, one-on-one, and then in relation to your teammates. So it's a very cool environment and super important. And the more you can, where the training pays off is that when you're in the the rack, or how to block it up and freeze your mind up to more. And that's the real key is being able to see and see what's happening and not be right. thinking about what you're actually doing. Like, um, right. you know, you should be able to like back off the net to your defensive position with your eyes closed. You've done it so many times and be in the right spot so that you can actually back off and take in the information and then make the right decision. Right. So yeah does that that answer your question does that make sense
0: yeah no totally It, it leads me to like a number of areas that i'm interested in and it also reminds me that i saw this um i don't remember where i saw it but it was talking about high performance athletes compared to quality athletes people that play and are good and high performance national team members and one specific reference was volleyball but i don't know you know our brains are funny things so things sort of just come in and i remember seeing this thing and they said Everyone's playing the game and everyone has the game happening really quickly. And it's not necessarily that you're lacking decisiveness between high performance and lower performance. It was recognition of the scenario very quickly. So they would put a picture up from someone that's a high performance athlete and someone who's a good club player. And it would be a picture of the volleyball court. And you'd see where all the players are and the ball is, and they would put the picture up like for this period of time like a snap second and a high performance volleyball player like yourself that snap second, you'd be like, you would know exactly what's happening from this snap image of what things are in the court, where someone that hasn't played as long, they wouldn't recognize it as quickly. So we might internalize that or portray that as someone's lacking decisiveness, but really what they're lacking is recognition as to what's happening in the game. Whereas yourself, you would see that and go, this person's going here to go to this position for this strike. And this person's setting here, you'd, you'd recognize that so quickly in the hint, sort of like a baseball player recognizing the type of pitch is coming by that snap moment of the spin rate of the ball same idea and i was like that's pretty cool like that's an interesting aspect is learning to recognize things more so than thinking you're you're incapable of of acting quickly it's not whether or not you
1: can act quickly yeah it's it's the it's that pattern recognition that the experience brings and yeah i um, there's an amazing book called Range by uh, David Epstein. Oh, I like his uh, writing. The, beginning of the book um, is comparing Federer and, and Tiger Woods and their upbringing. And um, it's a book about do you specialize or not? And the uh, the thing that you just reminded me of is almost identical kind of example where he's saying that um, they did a study where they had chess players, a truck would drive by with an image on the board of a, of a chess match mm-hmm. and the chess player could just automatically lay out all the pieces on the board identically. Right. Was is that when they had a truck go by or flash by with the pieces in an in irregular, in a situation that would not occur in a game, mm-hmm. just kind of shuffled, they right. couldn't do it. Huh. Because it's not Hard. part I of haven't that, seen that happen. pattern set that it, it's an abnormality that doesn't apply really, even though it is a chess set. Same right board and the same pieces they're right. in positions that they would never get into and they couldn't do it and because wow. they had no experience with it and uh, I a mean, fantastic book it goes on about just you know the i mean if you relate to the sport world the kind of key takeaway is don't specialize when you're young be a right. great athlete mm-hmm. you know everybody should be doing gymnastics when they're young just so they have incredible strength and body awareness right right and then um but, but there's so many threads in the book about the importance of learning to read. Um, and I'm, by read, I mean, read the game, the game read, 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 read the situation, scary. like you said, read, be able to read, read the spin on the ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like another example, I think, I don't know if it's from that book, but that's um, the talent code. I can't remember who wrote that, but um, again, they studying the practice of baseball players and players who were forced to You think in practice that that you want success and and you do to some extent uh, where the one group would just be pitched fastballs Mm -hmm. and then curveballs and they would hit, say, seven out of 10 because, you know, they got it down, learned how to read the curve. And then they had another group where they had a variety of pitches coming. They didn't know what it would be. Mm -hmm. And they're hitting, say, three out of 10. But then when you get them in the real life or in a game situation, it's that group that performs better because they've been flexing that muscle of reading, which applies to real life games where there is variability as opposed to this kind of closed loop practice where it's predictable. So Mm -hmm. it's, yeah, there's some really interesting stuff about that. I don't even know how we got on this topic. but um, Yeah, I'm not sure. But either way,
0: I find that like, that just makes my, I, I love hearing those types of things. Number one, I want to read both those books. One was range. And what was the other one?
1: Uh, it's the talent code, I think. Talent code. I w- I'll remember the name after. Sorry. I think a...
0: David Epstein also wrote the sports
1: gene.
0: I believe he wrote that. If you haven't read the sports gene. yeah, Yeah. And he
1: was a writer for sports illustrated too. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. So he definitely wrote uh, yeah.
0: the sports gene. That's one of my favorites too. Incredible. They talk about how the Australian team started um, moving people to different sports based on their physiology, but they're already high performance athlete, which again goes to the point of not specializing too early. And, and then the metal hall that they had in 2000 from a country that's, not a huge population base and not this huge history of success. Um, Another one that I really, really love that. I like the idea of, of helping people to think critically and thinking critically myself. Another one that I loved was everyone's read or heard of or seen the movie from Moneyball, but there's one called big data baseball, which is about the Pittsburgh pirates ending their long playoff drought, what they did to create that and ideas they took. And it's similarly, All of these terms that you're hearing now, um, when they talk about, I don't know how much you watch baseball, when they talk about um, um, pitch framing, that was started really by Pittsburgh bringing in Russell Martin, because he did a great job of not moving his glove when he caught the ball. Um, They, this incredible amount of shifting in baseball, pulling a, a shortstop and putting him as the fourth outfielder, that kind of stuff, Pittsburgh was doing that, like, like a crazy amount and offense was expensive. So they became a really defensively sound team because defense is cheap, but offense is expensive. Um, That's a, that's another great one, but those are two that, that I want to add to my list for sure, because um, yeah. Yeah. I find that, I find that interesting. And and just thinking about those concepts helps me to sort of think outside in life, in life, it's like uh, you start to look at things from different angles. It's, it's really hard to, come up with a creative solution to something when you're always just looking through your own perspective and so when something gives you a different perspective if it's a different sport or it's a different course of work I find that can sort of trigger something in my brain like oh I could look at this differently
1: yeah and that's that's what range is all about it's about how you know breakthroughs and things come from cross-pollination of people from different disciplines Mm -hmm. an engineer bringing in an idea that applies to building a bridge uh, into the operating theater or or likewise mm-hmm. you know just that it's that different angle that different perspective that just can open a door or present you as something that you just haven't thought about because you know you've you're specialized and this is the way it's always been done and this is right. how i was trained and, and, and a sport has a lot of that so mm-hmm. you, you see mm-hmm. kind of revolutionize right. the game in some way by thinking creatively so it's it's what's so, oh, so cool about cool. sport is just the evolution component of it too. I love it.
0: Yeah. That's uh, what I love so much. Like I, I love baseball, even if I never watch a game, like I, I know it's like weird, but it's like, I just, I read articles about things that they do and how much it's changed and you go decade by decade and it's just constantly evolving. They have a really powerful thing, which is exorbitant amounts of money. So they hire MIT dean's list grads in mathematics to come up with creative solutions to how we can objectively look at a player's quality that can lead to really interesting things and most sports don't have that and judo definitely doesn't have that but but it leads to like not that judo could ever get to that place but it leads to like all these different things like we don't have to be so um, small minded, I guess, or whatever, that these are the only solutions to the problems. Like there's so many solutions, there's so many ways to do things and, and sort of allowing our brain to just think of, and, and like we said before, sometimes the most obvious solutions are so simple, so obvious. I spoke to when we were, um, in Toronto, I spoke to a gentleman, I can't think of his name right now, but he was commentating the rugby for the Olympics. And I said, if you could do everything over again, what would you do differently? And he said, I would have seen a professional running coach earlier. And I was like, of course, it's so obvious. If you can run more efficiently in a game like rugby, you're going to be better. You're going to have a better, um, you know, better stamina, all of those kinds of things. Like what an obvious answer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The the, the best ones always aren't they? That's simple. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: so I guess to that point, um, if you were to re-navigate your career, not that you live life with a regret on what your career was or anything like that, but if you think, if there was a way that you could have made maybe your learning curve or your playing career more efficient, that you maybe would have been able to make some little gains, is there anything you're like, this would have been good to know when I was younger, or this is something I would have trained more? Oh,
1: wow. Uh The easy one that jumps out to mind first was just um later in my career um had a much greater understanding and and thanks to my wife who was our strength coach at the time too she was a strength coach for the national volleyball teams for eight years and ran the national sports center manitoba for strength and conditioning but she did so much with me on um, just working with my nervous system Mm -hmm. and foot speed and um because i'm naturally i would say relative to everyone i was playing with slower feet Mm -hmm. um and so you know just the things that she did to identify that and help me just be quicker on my feet and also um just doing unique things i never would have thought of that helped me perform um would have loved to had that sooner in my career because i feel like it's the back half of the career that i got it but also helped extend my career but um yeah like for example we had one time we were in the, the final four of a european cup in turkey um super tough semi-final which we won you know late in the season you're exhausted she got me up on the day of the final and had just ran me through a really light um nervous system wake up footwork pattern and stuff and then just never would have done it like my instinct eight years before that or whatever would have been yep yeah, just gonna lay in and rest and do nothing until mm-hmm. you know our, our regular kind of pre-game stuff but mm-hmm. you know her understanding where my nervous system was at what i needed to kind of just get the most out of it later in right. the day right going through that match went great but um just little things like that physically would would love to tell my younger self and then i think in terms of skills and learning the game, I think I would have just, um, I guess the biggest one would be to just start, and again, learn this later, but I wish I knew it sooner of in practice, starting just with the things more often than I wasn't good at working on weaknesses first. Right. Right. you You walk into the gym, if you're a basketball player you know most players go in and start shooting from where they like like to shoot from their spot instead Mm of you know starting where you're not good at and just just Mm -hmm. you know prioritize with that weakness a little more um Mm -hmm. i think that would just um accelerated development even more like i did you know had great coaches all the way through who would point these things out and get me to work on these things Mm -hmm. but just personally thinking about that more often and getting in and getting better at it so again later on in my career the first thing i do in practice i go in and get one of the assistant coaches just to, to help me with some defense stuff because uh, i was a weaker defensive player offensive side was great but defense relatively again to the other skills not as good so mm-hmm. I would address that um just that, did, that basic did. understanding as a younger player i think of yeah work on those weaknesses get get after those because those are what your opponent are going to be going after Right. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The thing that I like to tell guys sometimes or or think about, or I wish I did as well is, um, put yourself in the uncomfortable situations until they become comfortable because those situations are inevitable. And if you feel uncomfortable in them, you're not going to perform right.
1: Yeah. I love that. Uh, Yeah. That's a great way to frame it because, um, yeah, you're only as strong as your weakest link Right. with all the scouting that's going on and literally knowing that you hit 72% 72% of your swings from that position in this rough angle. Know mm-hmm, what you're good right. at, they know what you're not as good at. Right. And when it comes down to it, when everybody's playing well, those are the little things that that can make the difference.
0: Right, and, right. And um, and and from a from when you're working on an individual skill, targeting those uncomfortable situations, and then the the second thing that I think we're both going towards as well is when we're scrimmaging in practice. The goal of scrimmaging or in judo sparring, uh, in practice, the goal—it's so easy because we're also hyper-competitive to even be, be in that position. It's so easy to play that game to win, and a, in practice, scrimmage is to develop the skills and develop as a player. You played more scrimmages than than matches in tournaments than you can probably imagine, and we often do that with the idea of winning those. The winning or losing of those is beyond inconsequential. And I think for me, it's like trying to frame it that it doesn't matter if I win this round of Randori, it's that I'm working towards this goal of developing as a skill. And it's so easy once you get into the game moment to just play the game, which then you're going to lean on your skills where you're where you're more proficient.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a great point. And it makes me think of something I think that really helped me was exactly that with a scrimmage was Being less worried about the outcome, obviously I was playing to win because you do need to play to win and find a way to figure out to win. There's so many variables on court of you've got to solve problems and get the right solution um, based on who plays the first contact. All of a sudden your setter's on the ground, so somebody else has to set. That has to happen in the game. You have to work through those. We Mm -hmm. call them out of system scenarios in volleyball where you know just you're not in your normal flow and so you've got to be able to just figure those things out in scrimmage and find okay. a way to score and win but more importantly it was almost i'd think about it of say we figure it out say we get a good setup and somebody hits the ball mm-hmm. with half their hand and it kind of it's a fluke and it just floats over the block and drops in and scores that's exactly right like where the winning doesn't matter mm-hmm the way that ball hit matters and having the attention on the quality of the output, as opposed to the outcome, that little nuance makes a huge difference of yes, win, but win with actions that will actually, you know, more than likely secure success in a match. Right. 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 Does that make sense? Like that? Yeah. Yeah. Cause you can definitely win the, like we want to make sure in training that the outcome is a high percentage, very positive action mm-hmm. that in a real game will remain a high percentage thing. And so, yeah, like you're exactly right. You don't want to be winning that scrimmage, but it, I'm think of it as how you win is more important.
0: Right, so right. We don't, we don't want to win that scrimmage at the cost of athletic development or strategic development or anything like that. It's, it's the winning or losing of that is with the intent of developing further because the game is where it matters or whatever. Yeah. yeah got it. Yeah. yeah and the, the last, the last thing I guess I wanted to touch on was um, the other thing that I've found is I found this more as a coach than an athlete. Cause I don't know if I ever really did it properly as an athlete. So <laughs> is having a routine, the importance of the, day routine of the day you're going to compete. And I think, um, I see that more and more when I see a a child or teen or whatever, with a lot of anxiety going into a match, the bigger the tournament, the more anxiety it is. And so, um, what I try to get people to do is your routine doesn't really matter to a degree in terms of what it is. Um, but having a routine sort of like I like to eat this for breakfast. I know that I'm not going to have an upset stomach. If I, eat, if I decide to have a pancakes with a lot of maple syrup on the day of a big match, that might not sit well. So what you eat, just finding your process, the day that you're going to compete so that you are in the most relaxed place you can be. The day of an event is stressful enough so having as many controllable things controlled in a sense that this is what I do. It's a subconscious. I listen to, you know, ACDC before I play, I eat toast with peanut butter, whatever that is. I do 17 yep. jumps. Um, is, uh, that I found is like having the importance, you know, it gets funny in terms of like, you know, there's movies making fun of athletes. You know, I, I, uh, I didn't, he didn't watch his draw strap because he liked flies or whatever from this ridiculous baseball movie, but it's like, uh, uh, having, having this routine that, you know, this is just what I go through, I think can be really, really good for, um, anxiety. So I don't know if you had a process or if that was something that you looked
1: at import, as an important part. Oh, th- <clears throat> it's a great question. I feel like for me, because it was huge, it was paramount for what I was doing. So, um, the most simple example, uh, and we were talking about kind of just the flow of a game, but. In volleyball, the only kind of closed loop motor skill pattern where it's the same every time is the serve. Right. right? So like a free throw shot, like swinging the golf club or, you know, like it's, you're doing the same setup. You have complete control over that situation. You have eight seconds, you know, the court is always the same size and that's always the same height you've got. It's the same. So a routine there is just an absolute must. So. Goes without saying. So that's that's kind of like the playing example of routine. But what you're talking about is something I think that I was really good at. And and in what I the way I think of it is that it was almost like I was always running to a point, just experimenting and being super aware of my routine. So like you touched on the food, mm-hmm. like would never ever ever think about eating something I haven't had before in the day of a game or mm-hmm. close to a practice. There's -hmm. there's risk there. Like you said, you could eat something, you have an upset stomach, you know, there goes practice, there goes the game. So um, I was super cognizant of what I was eating. And then what I would do is I would, you know, eat something or try certain things and then take the time to think about how did I feel? Right. You know, not just because you can eat something, go to practice practice and and forget about it. Mm-hmm. Or you can eat something and actually compare. Well, the other day, I had you know a sandwich, an apple, and a coffee, whatever it is. Um, uh, uh, two hours before practice, right? This day I had it an hour and a half before. Any difference? Yes, no, maybe not. And you know you can't test it once. So right. I was doing this throughout my career, so that by you know. 12 years in, 13 years in, it was pretty locked down. Like I I really knew and where it became really important too, and alluded to around the footwork stuff uh, with my wife and was around the types of lifts that I would have. um, How many hours or days before the game and all those sorts of things to really just continually be being aware of how I was reacting to those different Mm stimulus of either working out, eating, of sleeping, of, where the nap is in terms of for the game, mm-hmm. well, to, and, you know, put me in the best possible chance to perform, right? To right. El- eliminate those kinds of things. So it was super, super important. But on the flip side, too, just having played so long, I also know that the best laid plans can be checked out the window. Mm-hmm. I had a teammate who literally got locked in the bathroom of the hotel, the lock broke. We're going to play the dutch national team my god and we could not get him out of the bathroom wow so there goes the plan right Right. you know like these crazy things happen all kinds of things can throw you off so you have to as much as i need it that's that's i guess what it is is that i had a plan Mm -hmm. i I knew what i needed and i also was aware that sometimes it got threw off Mm -hmm. and so i would again just think about okay the plan went out the window what worked there what didn't what what could i Mm -hmm. what could i maybe change next time this comes up or something similar right and and so are are, has our warm-up been cut short 30 minutes or now do we have to sit an extra two hours before the game starts because Mm -hmm. of the delay of a match before us right and what i just ate now i ate at the wrong time but i'm just like no okay so if i eat at the wrong time i know if i have a banana 30 mm-hmm. minutes later, then I feel the same. Continual experiment that you run on yourself if you're mm-hmm. willing to look at it? And uh, I feel super important, just really, really trying to understand my body and how it felt from various things, what, what felt best after games, how much right. stretching, what to stretch, what to leave alone, you know? Mm-hmm. And you're continually learning and your body changes, but I think you got to be willing like, to put in that work if you want to really get the most out of yourself. Right. right. The... Yeah, the one thing that I love that you mentioned
0: was the other aspects, like um, objectively looking at performance in sport can be really hard sometimes, especially if it's not a specific sport, like, you know, and hard to get those statistics in a short timeframe, but measurable items leading in can be really beneficial how much weight you're lifting is very measurable how many hours of sleep you're getting a night how many naps you're taking are you taking naps how long is the nap for how many grams of protein or carbohydrates or whatever knowing those things that are measurable and being able to measure them can get you really close to an objective um, goal or understanding of where you're at whereas like did i perform well today in volleyball yeah you might have a good sense of it but it's hard to um things aren't always so clear and crisp. So the things that right. we can make clear um, and are controllable can really help you narrow in when I eat this much protein and I eat this and I've done these lifts, then I know that I'll feel good. Cause I have yeah. many times before. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, right. and, and,
1: and it, it, there is that fine line. Cause you see, and it's all a hundred stories. Like you mentioned the jockstrap, whatever, but right. right sometimes those things become superstition that right. That's you don't want player, like, like, like this, this has to happen or yeah. And right. Tying their performance to something that that being like said, still still certain like, things I would always do that didn't matter. I don't know. You know, right. Right. Just right. Yeah. Like if know. you lose you your favorite pair of socks coming out on the mat or. Yeah. Uh,
0: I, I, I get, Yeah, actually, no, not necessarily superstitions, but I had one thing that was a, a funny thing that I used to do is um, dealing with anxiety. <clears throat> For some reason, having your grip on, an, on someone's uniform, their judogi, having a grip on it is the match, right? You have your grip on someone and you're trying to throw them. And so leading up to the match, you're standing on the sideline waiting. That's where the anxiety is building up. You're about to perform. And not having a grip of the judogi is like, I'm not doing it yet. So what I would do sometimes, this might seem a little weird, is one is sometimes I'd grab my own gi and hold it because it feels like I'm closer to the match. I'm holding a gi. Or if someone was standing beside me, I would just hold on to their uniform. And it felt like the anxiety would sort of flow out of me into it because I'm basically accent. doing a match and it looked, it probably looked weird at times. It's like you know, kind of like holding your friend's hand, but I would just be holding on to some part of their uniform. And it just melt me made me feel like I'm that much closer to actually doing it. And once the bell starts, and you've done the sport your whole life. That's not the anxiety mostly goes away. There might be the very beginning before the first exchange. But once you're doing it, this is what I do. This is my natural element. It's leading to that element. Yeah, you're You're, present. Yeah, yeah.
1: But you're leading in your thinking ahead, you're thinking about, you're not present in that sense yeah i love that right. gripping thing that makes so much sense to me
0: yeah it was, it was like a really it, yeah just hold it or i'd hold someone else's and i said i remember on multiple occasions saying to someone can you stand right here and they're like well, i'm just gonna hold on to your gi i know it's weird but don't make this awkward you know, know we that just met of, like, like, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah it's fine it's fine uh, it's fine fine thomas, thomas whatever your name is let me just hold on to your and and people were pretty cool about it you know like athletes were all weirdos so uh so mostly I, I never had anyone be like, no, that's weird. Uh, that never happened. So, but yeah, that was, it was, it, I would almost, it was almost like I could almost see it. It's like, I could almost see the stress and anxiety sort of leaving my body. Not fully. I mean, you're always going to have some butterflies, but that was something that I found like was a weird little, little quirk, little piccadillo. That's a good one. It's a good
1: one. Yeah. So.
0: I, I guess, guess on that note, uh, it was awesome to have you on. It was so great to have a conversation again and just see you as as a as a friend to have a chat. But uh, I think there's like so much that I personally uh, can take away from the conversation. I, I really enjoyed it.
1: Gee, Josh, thanks for having me on. And I uh, you know we kind of dove into the heavy stuff right there out of the gate with identity, but uh, right. I, think, I think it's really important to talk about and share. And uh, right. just, I love how you think about sport. And um, I think we're both just, fired up by it there's so many great benefits to it and, right um, if kids are out there listening get out and try things get out yeah. there and uh, get active and uh, again thanks for having me on the show it's been a lot of fun yeah thank you